You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Good morning, everyone. It is really good to see you all. Um, let me add my welcome to you um, if you are a guest or a visitor. Um, or if I haven't met you yet, my name is Peter. I'm part of the leadership team here at York City Church, and it is a real privilege to welcome you um, to York City Church and to encourage you to make yourself at home here uh, in this space. And particularly if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, um, what we're going to be doing over the next 25 minutes to half an hour is we're going to be opening the scriptures and we're going to be hearing the word of God together. We're going to be in John chapter 11 today, so you might want to turn there in your Bibles. We're going old school, and we're not going to have the scriptures on the screen. Wow, I know, I know. Yeah, but, but we will have a little video that will read the scriptures to us first, which is, yeah, one thing today. That is new school. We're doing a combination of both. So we're going to be in John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44, and it's the death of Lazarus. And a video is going to come up on the screen that's going to read the scriptures to us. And whilst we do that, I want us to think of three uh, questions that we might answer as the scriptures are coming. The scriptures are going to last about four minutes, so you have plenty of time to do some thinking. I want you to think, who do you think the main characters are in this passage of scripture. So who do you think they are? And what do they say to one another? How do they respond? What do they do? And then finally, I want you to take the whole of this um, story and think, what do you think the point of this scripture is? So three questions as we listen. From John chapter 11, the death of Lazarus. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Good. We enjoy that? You did, if you enjoyed that, wait for the colorized version. That would be um, a whole new experience. So, um, so I asked three questions. So who, did, who are the main, main characters of the story? Can anyone give me one main character? Jesus. Jesus is a good answer. Always the main character. So Jesus has been, um, to this point, doing six signs so far in the Gospel of John. Um, He's turned water into wine, he's fed the 5,000, he's walked on water, he's healed three people, and he's aroused this kind of suspicion and also some conflict, but many have also come to believe. And Jesus is currently at the start of this story in um, the place where John has been baptizing in Jordan. Who else do we have in the, the, the story? Lazarus. Oh, 
too many people. We, what, put your hand up, please. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. So I think we had somewhere amongst there, there was Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And we find out that they are um, siblings, so they're related, they're family. We have Martha, who's likely to be the eldest one, um, who acts quite Martha-like throughout the story. And then we have Mary. And we, we find a little quirk right at the start of um, chapter 10 is that Uh, Chapter 11, sorry, that we find that Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with hair. We don't actually hear that until chapter 12 in the Gospel of John. So there's a little quirk at the start of there that we might want to think about later on. And then finally, we have Lazarus, who doesn't do a lot in the story apart from stumble out of a tomb later on. Um, But he starts the scene being very ill, um, so much so that Mary and Martha are incredibly worried about them. So, John, controversially, is my favorite gospel. Um, so, I like John. Mainly because what we get is this grand picture of what God is doing all over the cosmos, and we get them to see it played out in these intimate stories, a story that connects the bigger picture of what God is doing into a very personal, relational level. And... I won't ask you what you think the point of the story is because it's really annoying when someone, um, someone steals your, your uh, sermon during the prophetic word, isn't it, Alan? So, as I heard recently. Um, so, I won't ask you what you think the point of the story is and hopefully we will, we will come to that as we go. So, as we said, Lazarus starts this story very ill and Mary and Martha send for Jesus saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. In their moment of need, in their moment of desperation, they turn to their friend, Jesus. The one who they've witnessed doing miracles, the one who they've seen do amazing things, but also the one that they know relationally, the ones that they know as a friend. And when Jesus heard it, he says this, he says, this illness does not lead to death. This illness does not lead to death. We could maybe pause the story there, right? Of if, we, if, the, if the story paused there, we would find that it would be a very short story. This illness does not lead to death. Get on with your life and go. But Jesus continues. He says that it is for the glory of God and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So right at the start of this story, we see that Jesus is framing this illness this sickness that ultimately will lead to death as we hear in the glory of God and that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But immediately after he says that, John writes that now Jesus loved Mary, uh, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved these people. His response was one of, love towards them but in the very next verse it says therefore he stayed there for two days we might think that that's not a very loving act surely the loving act would be to come running and it's kind of strange that he stays there for that little bit longer why would he stay there for two days why wouldn't he come running if you sent for one of your friends who you believed that could help you in the situation and they waited two days what would your response be At this stage, we don't fully know what is going to play out in the story. 
But we do see this little hint of it so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And the way that John writes it is because of his love for Martha and for Mary and for Lazarus that he waits in the place that it was. What we can conclude is that this delay was not harsh. It was not Jesus' unlovingness. It was not his thoughtless and devoid of affection towards others, but it's entirely in keeping with his love for this family and indeed others that he waited. A number of people have tried to speculate what he was doing whilst he was waiting. Was it his refusal to be manipulated by others that he waited? That he, but was it, as Tom Wright says, that he wanted to stay and pray for two days? And we see later this response of, Father, I know that you have heard my prayers, which is where some may say. And a final option is that, so no one could misinterpret this as being a miracle, this what is about to happen as we have seen played out of Jesus, of Lazarus, of Jesus raising Lazarus to lice. No one can misinterpret that would be a miracle. This delay has implications for us here as readers and as hearers of John's gospel. How do we respond when we perceive delay from God, when he doesn't answer us immediately, when he doesn't turn up in your desperate situation where you need him to in that moment? How do we respond to his delay? There might be moments right now that you need God to intervene, that you already feel he is late, that you already feel you have sent to him and that he alone can save you in this situation. But there's a delay. How do we respond? After a while, Jesus says to his disciples that he must go. After two days, he says that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And therefore, he's going to go to Bethany, where he was. When he arrives, we find that Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And that four days is a significant number in Jewish tradition, as Jewish Judaic law would teach that for, four, for three days after a body had been laid in the tomb, the spirit would hover over it. But on the fourth day, it would depart. So let's not miss the four days as we come towards a sign later on. And as he arrives in Bethany, Martha comes running out and we hear that Mary stays at home And he says in verse 21, Lord, this is Martha talking, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Because you delayed, he would not have died. Because if you had just been here, Lord, I know that you were capable. I've seen it happen. You you could have healed him. But she goes on. But even now, even now in the face of death, even now he's been in the tomb for four days, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And there's a number of interpretations around Martha's words. Is it words of rebuke? Is it words of anger towards Jesus in his delay? But I feel feel there's a confidence 
in Mary's response. The faith that runs deeper still, even in the face of death, she's confident in Jesus and still recognizes this peculiar intimacy and relationship that he has with God. Whatever you ask from him, God will give you. This unprecedented fruitfulness to prayer. And Jesus responds to her. And there's this, there's this kind of planned ambiguity, I want to call it, around verses 23 to 27. There's a lot of talk of resurrection. There's a lot of back and forth. And Jesus opens with, your brother will rise again. And this reminds me of a, a method in teaching where you make an ambiguous statement and you wait for, for the learners or here, the person to respond with what they think and how they believe and how they're constructing their ideas around your statement. We live in a very fact-based society here in Western uh, Europe where our education system is you learn facts. But here, Jesus is trying to tease out and explore what Martha is thinking. Your brother will rise again. And then there's this repeated mention and response from Martha of resurrection on the last day. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And that would be very consistent with a Jewish worldview of um, the resurrection on the last day when in the messianic age the people of Israel would again be restored to their land. The temple would be rebuilt and physical bodies would rise and reunited with their immortal souls. So it's not uncommon for, or, or unusual for Martha to respond like that. But Jesus goes on, he says, I am the resurrection and the left. And he diverts Martha's attention from this abstract view of something that is happening potentially at the end of age, this abstract view of resurrection to a personal belief in him as the resurrection and the one who alone can provide it. And he goes on, he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives lives and believes in me shall never die. We can contrast this and compare it with John 6, just after the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus declares himself as the bread of life, that in him and in him alone stems eternal life. And here we see that not just will there be some sort of belief in something that may happen at the end of time, but in him is where that resurrection will happen. In him will be that gift of life. In him and him alone will be eternal life. We can believe in lots of things. The whole world is trying to make us believe in stuff. If you do this, your life will get better. We can even live it as Christians. If you do things right, you will get to heaven on that last day. If you do this and do that, if you just trust a little bit more, everything will be okay. You can even trust in an idea that as correct as it might be, can miss Jesus. And Jesus is reframing the whole of Mary's belief of resurrection and of life and what it means to live eternal life in the goodness of him and him alone. Jesus starts to 
reveal something of himself of that, um, to Martha in these moments. And he's saying that neither resurrection or eternal life can happen outside of him. And that life that Jesus is promising, yes, happens in a day that is to come for us too, but also is standing right in front of Martha. The word became flesh. The immortal God put on flesh became incarnate before her. For Martha, life and eternal life stood right in front of her. If only she could see it. And he responds, do you believe this? Not just that something is about to happen. Not just that maybe Lazarus will come back to life. Not just that something will happen at the end of time. But do you believe this? Is Martha's faith confident enough to trust in Jesus alone as resurrection and as, as life? And she responds, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. The story moves on, and Martha, uh, Martha tells Mary that Jesus is here. And Mary's at home weeping and mourning with the Jews that had come. And so she gets up, she leaves, and she meets Jesus. And she responds in exactly the same words as Martha does. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same phrase that Martha uses. And many people, way smarter than me, have compared Martha's response and Mary's response. Martha, who goes on to proclaim something of truth about and faith in Jesus. But Mary breaks down in tears and weeps. And I don't feel majorly comfortable in the story with what we're given to make Martha the right way to respond and Mary the wrong way. We find that in grief and in pain, weeping and upset and pain and anguish is the right thing to do. We see this throughout the scriptures that lament is both a means of faith and an expression of it as well. We see the antidote to a stiff upper lip that everything is okay, but we enter into a position where we need a saviour, where this situation is beyond me. And Christians, I think, can be all too quick to explain away delay, explain away pain, but sometimes we need to enter into the weeping and the tears and the anguish and the pain and the lament. Because to lament is different to just despair and to give up. Lament is to invite Jesus into the pain. And as the Spirit laments with us, we find the presence and the healing nature of God. Just as Martha saw Jesus stood before him, Mary too finds Jesus standing before her. And we find that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And when he's taken to the tomb, we find one of the shortest verses in the scripture in verse 35. It says, Jesus wept. The words that we see translated as deeply moved 
is, is, is deeper than that. It means more. It's the anguish and the pain. Translated more literally and where it's used in other places, it's like the snorting of horses. The depth and the pain of what he was feeling was more than just he was feeling a little bit sad. But in his spirit, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled. And again, many have asked the question why Jesus is weeping. Is it just the pain of losing a friend in Lazarus? We see right at the start, he says, says that he loved these people. They were like his family almost. And then we see the Jews respond, look, as he, as he is weeping, see how much he loved them. Is it the pain of Mary's response, the seeing the pain and the anguish in, her, in his friend? More than just mere, merely empathy, though, but as Isaiah foretells, he will be a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows because his love is great. He has made his pains our own. Is it that he's crying about the fact that death still exists in the world, sin and suffering still there before us? Is it a questioning of lack of belief of Mary and Martha's response and also the Jews that said that if you had just been there, this wouldn't have happened? Or is it the pain of knowing what is to come in a few chapters' time, the pain of his own death, where we see that he is also greatly troubled, shaken up, unsettled, as he stands face to face with what is to come for him. He knows what it will take to conquer this foe of death. This time, we know he's going to take Lazarus back from the jaws of death, but next time, he's going to lay down his own life. I have some thoughts, which will come out slightly. What we can say, though, is not tears of resignation. It's not tears that he cannot do something or his inability to act as we're going to see what is to come. But what I think, perhaps more so, than working out and trying to explain the exact reason for Jesus' tears in that moment is who those short verses of Jesus, Jesus weeping reveals to us of what God is like. God also weeps. Some Christians like to think that God is above all that, almost like a robot that is in charge of everything, calm, does these things unaffected by troubles, unaffected by your sorrows, unaffected by your worship, unaffected by your love or lack of love. But that's not the picture that we see come through in the scriptures. We see one who relates to our pain, the one who weeps. So just as we've seen Jesus reveal himself in truth, I am the resurrection and the life, we see him reveal who God is and indeed who he is through the weeping and the emotions that he shows. And as the story progresses, Jesus requests the stone to be rolled away. And Martha complains that the body has been there for four days and is now stinking. It's rotting. It's putrefying. And as we said at the start, this four days is significant. It couldn't be by accident what is about to happen. And Jesus 
says this curious thing to Martha as she refuses to roll the stone away. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? And as readers of John 11, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that anywhere to Martha. He says some other things, but he doesn't say that. It could have been some previous conversation he's had with her, we don't know. But in saying it to her, Martha moves from unbelief to belief acted out as she rolls away the stone or as she has the stone rolled away. And as the stone rolls away, you can imagine the stench that comes out. And Jesus looks to the heaven and says, Father, which is characteristic of his prayer life, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And we could argue that Jesus is just playing to the gallery here, that he's praying with one eye open um, to make people see just what's been going on. But what I think he's doing more so than just that is that he's drawing people into his relationship with the Father, that they witness where this power is coming from, that they witness Jesus' dependence on his Father, and he cries in a loud voice, he shouts, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes stumbling out, as we saw in the video, bound in linen, linen and with a, with a covering over his face. And one of the commentators says that if he didn't address Lazarus by name, all the corpses would have sat up in that moment. Lazarus, come out. And we see the power of Jesus displayed, even that the dead are raised to life, and out he comes stumbling. And Jesus asks for the linen strips to be removed from him, and the story concludes. And it'd be tempting for us to draw a really straight line between the glory that's spoken of right at the start in in verse 4 to what has just happened, that Jesus has, has raised Lazarus from the dead. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, it is incredible. And Jesus must be very special, right? But the story does not completely end for us there. In this short passage, belief or um, believing is mentioned 10 times. It says, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so you may believe. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and on and on it goes, this reoccurring theme about belief. And we see that the self-disclosure and self-revelation of who God is to see him for who he truly is is the revelation of the glory of God. Glory in John is not merely just some praise that is due to someone who can do something really cool, but it's God's self-disclosure and self-revelation that we get to see him even now so far removed from that story as we read the, the, the scriptures, as we read this story, that we truly find the revelation of who God really is in Jesus. We've seen a revelation about in truth about himself. We've seen a revelation in his emotion and his weeping, and we've seen a revelation in his power and his action. And the verses that follow on from this story is that many came to believe in him, but yet some go off and plot his death. And just as we heard earlier, we all have a response to make. Some will believe. Some will choose the other way. 
And the events in Lazarus, uh, the raising of Lazarus, foreshadow the events that we're about to remember in a few weeks' time as we come up to the Easter story. The events of the Passion, the events of Jesus dying on the cross, the events of the grave being opened and him bursting forth. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that you may, that your name, Father, the the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. And as we see him raised up on the cross, as we see him crowned with thorns, as we see the inscription that says the king of the Jews, as he's lifted up, we get to see him truly in his revelation for who he is, the glory of God displayed. And in his resurrection, we see the tomb that could not contain him. We see the one who bursts forth. We sang it earlier, right? Bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. The resurrection of Jesus will be entirely different to Lazarus's resuscitation as Lazarus stumbles out in his grave clothes that need to be removed from him. We see a very different resurrection of one who is seated in victory, one whose grave clothes are folded. What we see here is a pale anticipation of what is to come, the true story and the true revelation for who he is. And the question to Martha and to Mary and to the crowd and indeed to Lazarus is the same that comes to us. Do you believe? Do you believe? And as Alan said more eloquently than I can, we don't put our trust in an idea of something that might get better one day. We find it in the person of Jesus, not concept, a person, one who at the start of the story shows because of his love, he's willing to do this. Because of his love for us, we will see his revelation on the cross. The one crowned king, the Lord of all, the one who death could not defeat or hold down. Do you believe? Do you believe? And we all have to answer that question one day, whether it's today or another. Do you believe? Do you believe in him? Do you put your trust in him? Let us pray. Jesus, we, we come to you humbly. We come to you asking for your grace and your kindness to us once more. We believe in you. Help us, therefore, in our unbelief. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to trust you. Help us to understand and have our minds convinced, but also have our hearts changed and our eyes opened. Just as you, just as your servant John wrote, that these things are written so that you might believe and know that the Son of God, and by believing in you, you might have life in his name. May we too read these words. We put our trust and our faith in you. 
We ask by your spirit, may these words come alive to us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.